Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Look Into It. Tonight, we're going to get into terrain theory again versus germ theory, all about viruses and if they exist or not. Um, Dr. Andrew Kaufman recommended these two doctors, our husband and wife team, former doctors, now out there spreading the truth. Please welcome Samantha and Mark Bailey. How are you guys doing? Very well. Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of a delay, I think, because you guys, it's tomorrow where you're at. You're in New Zealand. And uh, I can't believe you guys are, um, you know, from America, it seems like New Zealand, you can't say anything. It seems like that's like a, like a full-blown deep state country. It's like uh, <laughs> Australia and like Canada. Um, for my audience, please, please uh Give them uh, us a background on how you know how you guys got into um, the medical field and how you got out of it and why. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess um, Eddie. I mean, just to summarise, we we were both conventional doctors trained in the system. We worked in the system for two decades in the hospitals and the clinics. Uh, we even worked in clinical trials. Uh, where they were testing out new products and pharmaceuticals on, on patients. So we did all that stuff. And around 2016, I, well, 2016 is when I decided to get out of medicine. I'd become really dissatisfied with what was going on. And I could see that most of the doctors were simply happy to go along with the system. Everyone was making lots of money. They didn't really question anything. So even when it became apparent that patients weren't getting better or were even getting worse with the treatments that were being dispensed, nobody really seemed to care. Um, so in 2016, I decided uh, to get out of medicine completely. I had no intention of returning. Um, then I can hand you over to Sam because she, in 2016, I said, come on, we, we've both got to get out of this. And, uh, <laughs> but Sam can explain why she stayed on for a bit longer. Well, hold Sorry. on. So you, you guys met before you were doctors? No, at, we met uh, at the hospital. <laughs> yeah, when we were doctors. Oh, yeah. you guys were already doctors, and you met at the hospital. Okay, and now, and before we get into Sam's story, um, Mark, what was the main reason you decided that you had to get out? Yeah, it was just you know you'll be aware of these conversations now, and the sort of medicine that we were trained in was the allopathic uh, paradigm, which is you know based on drugs surgery, suppressing symptoms. It's based on germ theory, vaccines, antibiotics, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Eddie, for when I graduated, that was 1999, the first day as a doctor, I just felt that something, something's wrong. Like uh, my instincts were that this is the wrong thing. But, you know, I trained for six years to do this particular job. And it just didn't sit well with me. And then I actually had a timeout uh, in the early 2000s. For five years, I was a professional athlete doing uh, duathlon, which is like triathlon, but without the swimming. 
And I loved that time, just training, becoming one of the fittest men in the world. Loved it. And it gave me a lot of time to reflect. And I decided I really had to just make an exit strategy to get out of medicine. Uh, so, the, yeah, just the whole thing was, um, I guess it never sat with me well, to be honest. And uh, would, you have con- would you have considered yourself um, like right at the get-go, like um, against vaccines like right at the start well you know i was sort of sitting on the fence because what happened was when i was at medical school i got called in because they could see that i hadn't had all of the vaccines but to go on to see the patients on the wards you were supposed to have had all of the shots and i started reading some alternative material and you know, we were told at medical school that anyone against vaccines is crazy. Yeah. But I actually looked into some of the material myself and I thought, well, these so-called anti-vax guys, they do have some pretty good arguments. But for me, it was at that point where do I want to continue with a, a medical career, in which case I had to get the rest of the jabs. Uh, and that's ultimately, you know, I was a young guy and just uh, gave in to the, the pressure basically and accepted some of the final shots we had to do to get onto the ward. So, no, I was, yeah, uncomfortable with the vaccine thing from way back. And, uh, but, yeah, it was, as I say, you know, when you're at that point where you've trained for so long and this is what uh, your only career option basically at that point, uh, I just continued with it. Was there any, was there anybody that was super influential, like like maybe uh, someone who, uh like Andrew Kaufman, a doctor that uh, walked away from the field and started uh, preaching the truth. Was there anybody that uh, you that you were following that may have influenced uh, you? Well, back in the 1990s when this was happening, it was uh, Andrew Wheel. The um, yes, you know, again, he's a U.S. physician that basically decided that most of allopathic medicine was wrong. Uh, there was Deepak Chopra. I read some of his work in the 1990s. So they were, but of course, the financial system. Um, yeah, yeah. And then what really woke me up was uh, when I started investigating the financial system and realized it was a total fraud. And then that made me realize that maybe the medical system was a total fraud as well, even though I was immersed in it. Like I couldn't believe that we had this banking system, which was basically run by criminal cartels uh, under the guise that it was all legitimate. And that made me realize that maybe the medical system is the same thing. <laughs> like just, uh, you know, these entities that are actually really quite evil and, uh, you know, swept us all up in it. But uh, yeah, so that sort of takes me through to when I exited in 2016, but I'll, I'll hand over to Sam to explain why she stayed in medicine a wee bit longer. Yeah, so Eddie, I was um I was like a TV presenter for a main health show in New Zealand, and I was working as a clinical trials doctor. And I just started my own YouTube channel, and I was making um, videos just on health ideas. And people started asking me in the comments about COVID because that was you know 2020 just starting. And um, I started. We were both doing lots of research. And Mark actually found this book called Virus Mania, which is written by these two German guys. Um, uh, one's a doctor and one's an investigative journalist. And it had this huge effect on, a, on both of us where Mark would like sit me down and say, Sam, just stop what you're doing. I've got to read to you about HIV <laughs> and um, read these passages. And it had a realizing, oh my gosh, I've got to read this book. So I did. And then a lot of the videos that I was making started to come out with the themes of virus mania. 
And then in late 2020, I made a video that kind of completely changed my life. So it was about PCR and um, at that time, the PCR testing. And I also said in that video that I wouldn't get a vaccine if and when the you know coronavirus vaccine came about because I just knew enough that, that there's something seriously wrong with it. And anyway, within a couple of weeks, I had um, the lawyer from the TV show contacted me and said to take down the video. And I said that I wouldn't, that I believed everything I said and I don't want someone controlling my speech. So she said, just take out the bit where you talk about vaccines. And I knew straight away what this is all about. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. So I got fired. I got asked to leave my job I'd had for about 12 years as a doctor um, for, for making these videos. The medical council, so the main authority body um, that allows you to practice, they um, started investigating me. I had all these smear articles, like AFP fact-checking articles and stuff. And I was like, how, how can this happen so quickly? You know, and you realize that it's all coordinated. And um, yeah, from there, I just had a complete turning point. And then by chance, this author of this book, Virus Mania, he didn't know I'd read the book or anything, reached out and said, would you like to interview my co-author about the book? And I said, oh my God, this would be amazing. So we did this interview and then they said, would you like to be part of the book? We're going to be writing about COVID. And I, you know how it just feels like, well, for me, it felt like the angels just helping me, just pushing me into this direction of where I needed to go. And Mark was always in the background. We're, we're like one and the same. Like Mark was always there doing the research, helping me. And Mark was really reluctant to kind of um, come on camera, come on camera, because he just thought this would take away from the work we we're doing. And Mark does all the hard research. <laughs> he reads all the big the the papers and does all the grunt work so that I, I can just be the nice face presenting it. And um, yeah, so that's, and for us, for me, it was just this gradual process of waking up. Like 2020 was the wake up for me. I'd been vaccinated before then. Our two kids at that time had been like vaccinated. I had no idea. I'd never looked into it. But um, also, like you mentioned before, Andy Kaufman was a, a, a big influence. He was one of the first videos um, I watched and said about the no virus thing. I've never heard of this before. I was like, what, what does this mean? <laughs> it's, it's such a huge paradigm shift. And from a, for us, we've just gone as deep as you can go into it. Now, uh, Mark, you got out of the medical field in 2016. And Sam, you got out 2020, end of 2020? Um, kind of, yeah, 2021, I, I decided to have, we decided to have another baby and um, I was pregnant and I, I thought I'm not, uh, I'm just going to let my practicing certificate go because I was, you know, about to have a baby. And then I was like, I, I don't want to, I don't want anything more to do with this um, thing. And, and they've been, the medical authorities have been trying to prosecute me for what, three years <laughs> coming up, you know, they're trying to basically, um, they tried to also go after Mark as well. And how, how, um, how, why don't they? I mean, in New Zealand, it seems like, again, it seems, uh, it seems like New Zealand is a, a place where no one can say anything that goes against the narrative. And if you do, they'll just come knock on your door and arrest you. It's, it's not like that. <laughs> it's not like that. Actually, it's funny, Eddie, because I mean, I think we all look at other countries and think, oh my goodness, it's terrible. Like most of us in New Zealand looked at Australia and said, wow, that looks awful. 
that looks worse than here because they had real pre- police brutality over yeah, there. That's it. You yeah. know, guys with rubber bullets and batons in the street. I mean, we never had that here. And, you know, to be honest, like since 2020, our family, and I'm not just talking about Sam and I, but a lot of our wider family, didn't go along with any of the so-called mandates because we realised that they weren't lawful, that they were unscientific, that they were completely ridiculous. So, you know, not once has anyone put on a mask or done a sign-in, used one of their tracer apps, taken any of their uh, toxic gas. Really? Jabs. Wow. No, I, I, thought, I thought they had you guys on lock. Wow. I, I guess... Yeah. I, I guess I, mm, it's just uh, to sensa- se- sensationalize the whole situation. Because yeah, New yeah. Zealand just seemed like the last one of the last countries you'd want to go to. It seemed really, really <laughs> bad. I know Australia was bad. I have a lot of friends. I have schools in Australia. And Melbourne was real, real bad. I, and I knew that firsthand from Frank Barca, um, my black belt that runs um, my school in Melbourne. And... Man, okay. Okay, so you guys never wore masks at all th- throughout the whole thing? No, and I mean, we were in the minority, that's for sure. But there were groups in New Zealand that pr- built up a lot of numbers quickly and um, did, didn't go along with things like face masks and stuff. We did end up, they had what they called a vaccine passport system here in New Zealand. So, like, for a while, we were not allowed to go into public places. Libraries, school, you know, pools, all the yeah. rest, cafes, restaurants, you couldn't go to a hairdresser. But at the same time, we, you just find workarounds, like there were cafes that opened regardless, they didn't discriminate, and we've always supported them. Like, anyone that stood up, we were like, okay, we're, we're never going anywhere else. We're just going to support these guys that understand what's at stake here. That's what I did, too, because L.A. was like that. Uh, L.A., for a while, you couldn't go into any restaurants or the mall without, uh, pr- you know, proof of jab. Uh, so I just found I found a gym that didn't give a shit. He didn't make anybody wear masks. I had a 24-hour fitness, which is a, a giant chain here in the United States, less than two minutes from my house that I always went to. Super, super convenient giant gym had everything you could want in a gym a pool everything and <clears throat> they were the most nazi so i found this gym it's 30 minutes away um small tiny gym has enough equipment small tiny gym in rich fit in burbank a friend told me he's like dude i found this gym the dude is like super anti-mask he's he's a super anti-woke you got to check it out i'm like where is it at so i found it signed up it's like three times as expensive, three times further at least. And I still, I'm still there. You know, they, they dropped all the vaccine passport madness, you know, a while back, but I never stopped going there. Found a sandwich shop that didn't say anything when I'd walk in without a mask. So I always went there. So I did, I pretty much did the same thing you guys did. Um, now during the, the those uh, four years or so where, where Mark was out, and Sam, you were still in. What, what, what were uh, were you trying to convince Sam little by little, inch by inch? Were you chipping away for her to uh, follow uh, your lead, or what, what were those conversations like? Because that was like four years of. Uh, were you guys arguing? Did did was she mad that you quit? Uh, were you guys battling at all? Was there any convincing? 
No, the funny thing with us, Eddie, is that we get along so well. We spend all our time together and we're, we're pretty much always on the same wavelength. So even when Sam was still had a practicing certificate and was still in the system, no, that was no problem at all. But, um, I mean, I was, I was always warning her that um, I think things are going to get worse and worse as we approached 2020, and that's what happened, of course. But the thing was, you know, um, at those, over those years, Sam actually had a real attempt at trying to fix the system. And one of them was she launched New Zealand's first online consultation service, and she did it by herself. So with no major companies backing her, with no other doctors who were willing to help or anything, just from our own home, she set up this service, which became a five-star uh, medical consultation service that everyone was just raving about. And uh, yeah. But the problem was, was that it became overwhelming. Yeah. Sam was on call all the time around the clock. Yeah. So it was probably in 2019 I said to her, I think now you have to rethink what you're doing because – we, we couldn't even leave the city because Sam was constantly... I, I wanted to fix. I thought that this was the way you could fix the system and and I didn't understand what I know now. <laughs> and at, it's, at the time, I think 2020 kind of had to happen, but in some ways for me, that was a really good... Um, I, I, I can see now what I, I needed to do that and to kind of struggle. I, you know, it was, a, it was a really difficult time at, as well. But um, so by the end of 2019, I was wrapping that up and going, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. Um, but I, I, and then, you know, your life changes again. I so. mean, the, the timing couldn't have been better, actually, Eddie, because Sam had just really set up this YouTube channel for her business. Yeah. And, you know, and then at the start of 2020, she thinks, okay, well, I've got this. YouTube channel, you only had a thousand subscribers or something, this little channel. Sam Tripley and I are coming to your town. Catch us on the road doing tinfoil hat comedy. Follow me on Instagram at tinfoil hat comedy night. September 8th, we'll be in Dallas, Texas, and September 9th, Austin. Go to samtripley.com for more information and to buy your tickets. See you on the road. COVID comes along, you know, this pandemic. And all of a sudden, Sam said, well, I can just start making videos talking about this stuff. And the, the demand was just massive. Like at one point, Sam's channel was going mental, like getting 5,000 subscribers a day who were joining the channel. But that's uh, when you're telling, you know, the approved narratives. <laughs> well, well yeah. it was when we were not fully, you know, saying that there was no virus. Yeah. We were just, um, people, people were reading between the lines. They could see what we were starting to say. And it took a long time. It took until early 2021 until the YouTube censorship crushed the channel. Um, but by then, you know, Sam had built up about a quarter of a million um, subscribers, which was amazing given what we were kind of presenting. And these days we can't get anything like that on the channel. Like uh, occasionally we try and upload a no virus thing and it usually gets struck down within a couple of minutes. <laughs> so did they pull your channel down? Did they delete it? No, so I've got, I've had some strikes, um, but it's still there. Um, but I, I basically can't put anything on it. It's just anything. It just gets, like I put a, a video on polio. Um, I tried and it lasted six minutes and then it got taken down. And um, and it's because when you, as you know, when you're right over the target, it, they just, they won't it automatically. And I knew because when I uploaded it, 
it tells you, you know, normally you don't get any views on, on there when it's like in the private mode, just checking that it's all okay. And then it had like three views and I'm like, that's weird. And because um, I don't normally, that never happens. And then when it was, it's like, because I must have tagged it, I put in Rockefeller. <laughs> it's put in the wrong tags in there. And, it, um, you know, it, it got taken down straight away. So I don't, I just put general health information. I'm trying to keep it alive, but most of my, all my good work is on Odyssey now. Now, um, what do you tell people? Obviously, you guys are pro-terrain theory, correct? I mean, obviously. Um, what do you tell people that, like, you know, people that went to college, people that have a science degree or a medical degree, and they go, well, these, these, these guys are crazy. Viruses don't exist. We've isolated viruses. We can see them through electron microscope. Like, you know, all the, what do you tell people like that when, when, when they first hear that you're preaching that uh, viruses uh, don't exist? Like, that's, that's hard for people to swallow. Yeah, I mean, I think, Eddie, the thing is we don't try and push it on anyone. It, it doesn't work. If you try and cold call or hit someone hard with this stuff, they just, they honestly can react really badly to it. And uh, so it what really if, depends where they're at. The, the ultimate what if they're on the fence? Okay, they're on the fence. Yeah, I, I get you because people that are way on the other side, I don't even want to talk to those people. You know, I, I, I don't want to talk to them about anything. Um, uh, but if they're on the fence and they're legit asking questions because they're uh, um, interested, and um, what do you tell those people? So really, we just start by saying, you know, the virologists invented this model of the virus, right? They had never seen them in nature. That hadn't happened. They just thought, well, we're observing things, getting things and people getting sick. And because they were so entrenched in the germ theory model which is wrong in itself and we can talk about that as a separate thing they thought there must be these other particles these you know sub microscopic little particles causing disease but what we point out to people is that if you come up with one of these scientific uh, hypotheses you're then obliged to do the required scientific experiments now virology's never done that it doesn't have a set of valid controlled scientific experiments which have followed the scientific method and which are sufficient to prove that these particles exist so that's that's what it comes down to and if anyone thinks otherwise then they're the ones that need to come up with the evidence because we've looked through thousands of their papers we went right back to the early 1800s so the first one was the so-called tobacco mosaic virus there was no the what virus repeat that again Tobacco mosaic virus. It's called TMV for short. It's the plant virus. Um, it's, it's the plant tobacco. virus. It's a okay, plant so virus. This, this, yeah. this, is this the, the the first time they supposedly discovered a virus, or is is that what's going on here? Yeah, and the point is, is that so they say you know back in the late eighteen hundreds they say look we've found this um, you know they were calling it a virus back then but you can look at their papers and say hey they didn't have control experiments. None of their work followed the scientific method. They didn't demonstrate that there was anything infectious between the plants. It was just pure speculation. And that's happened for 130 plus years now, right through to Wuhan, where if we look at the first four or five papers that came out of Wuhan saying that SARS-CoV-2 exists, etc., they got the same problem. No controls, no following scientific method, 
no independent variable, which is what we need to see in these scientific experiments. Can you and explain? Then, can you explain all that, like to uh, yeah. retards like me, like uh, <laughs> like so they, when, they didn't explain what they didn't have and uh, yeah. with SARS CoV two. So when you follow, you know, the scientific method is the generally accepted method uh, for you know. Uh, empirical observations, so things that we can measure basically in the world. It, it's just standard science, essentially. Yes. How to do an experiment that's valid yeah. and, yeah. So, you know, in high school or earlier elementary school, they teach you this is how you do an experiment and you follow the scientific method. And one of the most important things to do with the scientific method is to have controls. So in the case of, say, the papers that came out of Wuhan, they said, well, we took this snot, well, lung fluid from this 41-year-old man, and then we checked it for uh, RNA, which is the genetic material, and we found a virus in there. But they didn't do a control. A control in that situation would be, we'll just take some lung fluid from anyone. And from see a healthy person or someone who's also sick who doesn't have COVID. So you need to compare and just say, can you find those same genetic sequences in these other people? So they don't do that. They never do this, basically. And, and this is a problem not only for the genetics and stuff, but we're talking the PCR, the so-called isolation experiments, the electron microscopy. So all of these things that they're presenting is their, quote, evidence for viruses don't have control experiments. And we know why. Because the moment they do the control experiments, it shows that they're no different mm -hmm. than their experimental experiments. So, for instance, if you take electron microscopy and they go, yeah, we got this um, culture here in our lab, here's the virus. Well, we say to them, we'll just go and get a culture that has something else in it, like the same tissue, but without the so-called special virus that you've got in there, and then take some pictures of that because we know it looks exactly the same. And this this is not unique to like uh, COVID. This is yeah. everything, like HIV, all of them are the same. They, It's unbelievable, Eddie. They just don't do control experiments and that's how they've propagated the fraud for so long. Now, why don't you think they do the controlled experiments? What, what, <laughs> there's gotta be some kind of um, nefarious reason, right? I mean, yeah. why, 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 <laughs> wouldn't they, why wouldn't they, so they're not following the scientific method. In, in, in all of it, like HIV, uh, bird flu, I'm sure same thing. Did you go? Did you go through? Did you go through like like um, the papers of there? There's papers from like po polio and how they discovered yes. polio. They there's documents, right, that anybody could sift through and analyze. Yeah, I think the most important thing to know is that with all of these papers, people can read, and this is what often happens with doctors now, is they'll read the abstract, they'll read the top line, and they'll read like the summary, you know, what does it say? And you can't do that. You've actually got to go into the meat of the paper and look at the methodology, like what happens? What did they do? Because otherwise, yeah, you, you not get to the crux of it. Yeah, yeah I think polio, Eddie, is a classic example because if you read the CDC's website, it tells you that there's this polio virus and that it comes out in people's feces and then you might accidentally swallow this particular virus and then, oh, you might get polio and get paralyzed. But you think, well, where was that established? Where was the scientific experiment? And you'll find 
it wasn't. What they actually did, and this is like 100 years ago with their Rockefeller-funded experiments, was that they had a, a kid that died of what they said was polio. They said, well, he's, he's dead. The virus killed him. Then they would take like his spinal cord tissue and put it in a blender and mash it all up. And then they would cut a hole in a monkey's head and inject that biological muck directly into that monkey's brain. And sometimes the monkey would have a seizure or get paralyzed or die. And these guys would conclude, well, that's the virus, you know, we've got the virus. Now, that experiment is preposterous because... Who's drilling (laughs) open monkey's heads? How does that happen in nature, you know? Ah. So, man, you would think like, they like, why would they even say that they, they injected it right into the brain? They should have just said, yeah, they just stuck it in the monkey's arm and he became paralyzed that, you know, but they put it right into his, cause they needed him to, to they needed the monkey to have a, a but, but they, you would, you would think like, okay, do it, stick it right in their brain, but, but right down that you put it in their butt, you know? <laughs> I, I know, and this is what concerns us. We're just waiting. Now that we've pointed out all the problems, we're just wondering whether they will just completely make up an experiment now and said, oh, this is what we did, even though we didn't, you know. But the polio one is classic as well with the monkeys because, again, no control experiment. I mean, why don't they just take biological muck from some other source, you know, from a healthy person that's, that's died of other causes and inject that straight into a monkey's brain because... And the stuff that they're injecting into the brain, I mean, that's got so much in there. It's got all these proteins, all these other toxins, all these bits of genetic material. They don't know what's in there. They're not. It's not pure samples or anything. It's it's so barbaric. And all of these things they've done, these experiments they do on animals, they're it's torture. It's just it's nonsense. And they like they kill um, just so many animals senselessly for this. Seems like there's a lot of money laundering going on, you know, <laughs> like to me, it seems like uh, that all these virology labs everywhere. It just seems like, like, what are you, what are you guys uh, doing with all this money? It seems like, it seems like a virology lab is just a money laundering lab. That's what it, that's what it seems like to me. Maybe they, you know, when, when you see these emails um, uh, from like, you know, Dr. Fauci, to like Wuhan and gain a function research and they're sending all this money to, for gain a function and everyone's like look look they're sending all this money for gain a function now they're creating a virus that's you know you know it's going to be uh you know it's going to take out a large percentage of the population or whatever one in my I just think they're just stealing the money. I'm thinking like people are like, oh, I think that's just proof that they just stole money. I don't think that's proof that they did anything with any virus, right? Because I mean, how could they? They haven't even proved that they exist. Yeah, I think, um, well, Sam's got some great videos um, on called gain of function gaslighting, um, bioweapons, BS, basically exposing why yeah there's nothing to it basically. you guys you guys can you guys have the ability to share anything you want on your screen so if there's something you, a clip you want to put up to um uh oh yeah feel yeah. free feel free Are okay you yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm like, sorry, I'm not video, so like, the video you just mentioned mark um she made a video like a, a, you said a gain of function type video yeah there's there's three of them so i made one called gain of function gaslighting gain of function 
garbage and gain a oh, bioweapon BS. My favourite is actually a, a clip of um, Bill Gates. It's in a Wall Street Journal interview, and they are they ask him what's the most dangerous thing for the world, and he says bioweapons, and he can't stop himself from laughing as he's saying it because he knows it's it's complete lies. I'm Eddie Bravo, founder of Tenth Planet Jiu Jitsu, with over 150 schools and over 30,000 soldiers worldwide. Music has always been my deepest passion. Without that musical journey that I took, uh, I probably wouldn't be here right now. I can't tell my music story without having my uh, musical partner, my whole life, and best friend, Mr. James Watson. I said, I want to be in a band no matter what. Oh, well there it is. I gotta move to Los Angeles. I said, I gotta go to that place if this California is supporting metal. Me and Jane just started making music. Mastering the Metal, the story of James Watson and Eddie Bravo. Print and audiobook available now. Anytime I hear bioweapons, like, where are your fucking bioweapons at, man? You got <laughs> really, if you really had a bioweapon, they would have released it and it would have, it would have crushed the population, right? And everyone's like, oh, like a gain of function, gain of function. I'm like, when you look at the data of the, like the deaths, just the deaths, it's, um, um, you know, everybody knows that if you have, you know, your, your, your aunt is 70, she's got four comorbidities, she's in bad shape. A flu or pneumonia is gonna might take her out. Everybody, you'd learn that in second grade, right? So with um, the scam, damn it, to me it just seems like they just took like whatever the flu is, you know, whether you believe it's a virus or not, whatever it is that takes old people out with that are in bad shape. It seems like that's what what this COVID was. You know, they just hijacked whatever the flu is. Now they call it COVID. First they call it Corona for a while. Then they, you know, once they got all the tests out, then they changed it to COVID. Uh, but to me, that was the scam. All they did is take whatever the flu is, call it Corona for a while, then change it to COVID-19. And then when you look at the data, it's the same thing. Same thing as whatever the flu is. Average age of death, 81, which is higher than the average age of, uh, life in the united states and then yeah. you know same thing with the flu four comorbidities you know uh it was the same test the same test like the same pcr test i mean um yeah it's, it's so i was just gonna say it's so manipulable all this stuff and that's what people almost don't realize because they think that the data that they're seeing is is real so they've done this like for example polio is another classic like what you're saying Eddie, is that before polio they had all these different conditions. And then when they want to create a new pandemic, they just absorb all these different symptoms and conditions and call them all polio. So a classic that happened is like children, you know, sometimes can have this interned eye, like a squint, a lazy eye when they're, when they're little. And it's, it's a very common thing. Before that, it's just called a squint. Then when polio came, they suddenly, they were polio patients. And then when they want to get rid of, polio so the polio vaccine comes in and they need to reclassify all the conditions again and now they become thousands of new conditions and this is what they do over and over again so they did it like you said with COVID with the flu they just incorporated 
what we would have called the flu, and now that's COVID, and they did that on a big scale. So now myocarditis is <laughs> like COVID or long COVID or chronic fatigue syndrome, and they just and for as long as they want it to be like that, they'll classify it, and you don't know that they've changed those definitions. Yeah, it's 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 genius, really, because you know. Um... You know, it's all the same symptoms. It just happens, just happens. Yeah, it happens that you're using the flu test. Oh, that's a coincidence. Oh, the flu disappeared. Oh, the flu disappeared. Oh, Jesus. You know what I mean? It's the same test. Um, same symptoms. Uh, but um, the only thing that's different, the difference between the flu and COVID is if you believe in COVID, the difference is the flu is bad enough on its own. But when you have the flu, you know, oh, it's the flu. You took your temperature, laid down, sleep it out, sleep it off. You feel like death. You feel like death. <laughs> you're, you're throwing up. You're, you're having explosive diarrhea. You're throwing up. Oh, you're just, you, you could barely walk. You, you can't stand. You, you got a, a horrible fever, but you know, you're going to be all right. You feel like death. I mean, that feels like, like a real bad flu. If someone took, if the doctor said, oh, you have cancer you would know the difference. You'd be like, oh my God, you feel like death. This is cancer. You, you, if a doctor told you anything, you had the flu and you walked into the hospital and you're like, doc, I don't know why. I think it's the flu, but I don't know. And they did test. Whatever the doctor told you, you would believe it. And if he told you you had cancer, it was just like a horrible diagnosis. You would freak the fuck out. You would, you would, ha- you would be able to breathe. You'd be, <gasps> you'd be freaking If you had the flu and you found out you were going to die too, I mean, that's that's the difference between the flu and COVID is um, COVID is the flu with a panic attack because you believe (laughs) because you believe the shit you see on TV. So the people are like, oh, my God, no, no, it's not the flu. This was way worse because you think it's way worse. That's so it's genius, really. It's just genius. They could do it at any time. They could do it anytime. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they really did gain a fun? They really designed this fucking, like, uh, this designer virus, and then they le- then an evil scientist leaked it, and they were like, okay, hurry up and spread all over the world so we can get this great reset going. Like they're counting on that to spread to get this great reset going. Like, that's ridiculous. Whoever, like, if that's real, can you like that? That whoever designed whoever did that gain of function and designed that and got flu numbers like dude you know what i mean like like whoever like klaus schwab you know takes that scientist who developed that gain of function takes them for a little walk you know what i mean they're, they're gonna they gotta kill this guy go listen we did all this shit we sent you all that money and average age 81 and they gotta have four comorbidities what the hell are you doing with all this money what kind of virus is that we want average age Five years old, goddamn! What are you doing? We want average age five to twelve. That's it. Eighty-one. We might as well just use the flu. Why do we even give you all this money? Average age eighty-one. Four comorbidities. That that guy must have been hung. You know, whoever came up with that. Like those those numbers you gave us. Flu numbers. You gave us flu numbers. I mean, it makes you think. Like it makes you think that. Man, it makes me think. Like, damn, maybe like like the black plague and all that shit was fake too like it, it just seems like now it seems like you know if polio was fake and 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 all this shit hiv and all this shit's fake and they it just seems like oh they're they prop that's probably part of you know 
controlling the slaves, building an empire. You gotta have a virus, dog. You gotta have a virus, and every now and then, and you know, you just hijack the flu. You know, you 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 get some things handled during this pandemic, and it just seems like that's how. You, that's part of ruling uh, the slaves is you gotta scare them with shit. You gotta keep keep them in constant fear. Like they, they probably have meetings like those Davos meetings, like behind closed doors. They've been probably having those forever. Like, dude, you got to keep the like, we got to keep them in fear. And, and how, how many, you got to scare them with things only the rulers can save you or only like yeah. stuff that the rulers can't save you from. They, they have no, they have no interest in that. It's gotta be like asteroids, the climate, violence, all, all shit, terrorism, all shit that only, the government can save you from it's only that shit it's only that right and it seems like that's that's the the system it seems that's the that's how you do it you keep them scared constantly nuclear bomb like i don't know if you guys have ever looked into nuclear bombs but nuclear bombs are just like viruses yeah i know have you guys looked into them it's brilliant it's brilliant like people believe like like the crazy thing is i'm mean, people who watch my show they know i don't believe in nuclear bombs um there's um where's the evidence when you when you look into it like it was the uh nuclear bomb was just the theory the theory like oh if we could split an atom inside a bomb it'll it'll cause critical mass and bombs will blow up instead of going poof, it was just like it would just the explosions would just be exponential and, and it would go all over the world and then for 500 years will it you know wherever it went off you can't you know everything's gonna die and everything's gonna born, be born with three heads and all that shit right like have you guys looked into nuclear bombs at all yeah yeah i mean we've looked into so many things and we with our presentations and the publications we do we keep them to the health related stuff mainly but yeah, definitely we've we've looked into <laughs> yeah, financial yeah i don't want to drag you into nuclear bombs but uh, oh, no, no, no it's fine it, it's really interesting Eddie, because you, you're right on the money here and that they use these fear narratives as the device of control basically and you know you talk about bioweapons there like you say if they had a bioweapon that was good we would have seen the product long ago but a long time ago they time wish ago. they would you only see it like in movies like it yeah. they only exist in movies and now now you look back at all the zombie movies like oh you got what's gonna save the day in a vaccine or a, a the zombie movie of the vaccine and a little blue vial oh we need the vaccine they get it in your head like the vaccine's gonna save you it saves everything right it's like and then the, the contagion the contagion oh a zombie grabs you oh you're gonna turn into a zombie it's like and you need the vaccine man it's brilliant they wish they had some kind of bio i mean they do have the ability to blow some shit up they have bombs like nuclear bombs don't exist in my opinion and i'm i'm pretty damn sure of that but um bombs do exist they don't need they don't need nuclear bombs they they have plenty of hydrogen bombs or whatever they have they definitely have bombs that blow up and destroy shit that's for sure uh but uh, a bomb that goes off like like those fake uh, uh videos that they had from like the 50s and 60s those fake ones where <laughs> it's like a nuclear winter I'm like who videotaped that shit yeah where was your camera at you guys had this 1950 and the camera's not even shaking 
Um, so, and then they look like models, like those, you know what I'm talking about? Those old 1950s, uh, nuclear test sites and all that. But, um, you know, Eddie, I think what, you know, what you were saying about bioweapons is that we went back through and looked at the entire history of bioweapons, trying to find evidence that they had anything. And we looked through as many papers as we could, the U.S. programs. And even like anthrax spores and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, um, the British programs, the Japanese experiments that they were doing in the middle of last century. You know, and they were trying horrendous stuff. They were really trying hard and probably, like you say, consuming a whole lot of money and resources with their waste of time processes. But the only thing, they came up with a couple of things. One was um, anthrax, but the only way that works is if you concentrate the spores so densely and probably we suspect that they lace them with arsenic as well to make them more toxic but i mean it's such a pointless weapon because you'd have to keep spraying it over a city continuously you know dropping wars everywhere i mean like you say why wouldn't you just drop a bomb or some sarin nerve gas would be more effective Mm -hmm. than anthrax yeah it seems it seems like now i remember my point and i'll I'll, uh, let me just get through this real quick um they can kill people with bombs, but they they don't have, in my opinion, they haven't in a lab, they haven't come up with some kind of pathogen or bacteria that can kill someone and then that person spreads it to another person and then that person spreads it to another person. It seems like that's what they wish they can figure out. They can definitely, you know, put together cocktails that kill people instantly. You know, they got heart attack guns and all that stuff. But um, but to, to, to create some kind of pathogen, some kind of bacteria that can kill someone and then that person spreads it to all these other people and they all die. I think that's just in the movies. I think they, if they would have really had that, they would have released that shit a long time ago. I want that upper body clench. That's what I'm, I'm going after. With the underhook, looking for double underhooks. Fucking, that's a juicy ass clench. Perfect double underhooks, you're on your side, boom. That's all perfect. That's huge. And my game, for me, I'm like, I got this motherfucker. First fight in Abu Dhabi 2003 against Gustavo Dantas. I got right in and got double, perfect double underhooks. I'm like, oh my God, I had him in a lockdown, perfect double under, really quick. He just gave it to me. I'm like, and I was just sitting there going, oh my God, he just gave it to me. That was just off the front headlock, 100%. Push into him, you wanna smash him and then jump on that leg. You wanna rush him so they don't have a, so they're off balance, you jump on that leg, try to, you hook that leg, you're gonna take their back or put them in the truck. Either one. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and we've got a friend, um, Eric Coppolino, who's who cro- did a chronology of COVID from the very beginning. So he went through all of the like press articles and documented everything like day by day. And you can see the bioweapon lab leak story is like exactly the same as when COVID and everything comes out. So they've got these parallel stories ready for us because a lot of people can see that it doesn't make sense, you know, and they have to have another explanation for what might be going on, an acceptable one that keeps people on the plantation. And that is the bioweapon story. And once you don't believe in viruses at all or that they can engineer them, you're you're not controllable to them. Yeah, because, you know, we, we go right back to 
the famous ones, Louis Pasteur, Robert Koch, and Koch's postulates and stuff. And we look at their original papers, get the translations, and these guys coming up with germ theory, they don't have any evidence that their bacteria were doing anything at all. And these bacteria, we can actually see viruses different. They just imagine them, they're just invented. But we don't dispute that there are bacteria. And the problem for them is, is that you can't weaponize something that has no ability to be a pathogen in the first place. So like Eddie, if we give you a pure culture of cholera or something and you swallow it, you you won't get sick Mm -hmm. because if there's no other toxins in the water, the bacteria by itself won't do anything to you. Same as if you inhale the mycobacterium, which causes, well, which they say causes TB, but doesn't. All of us are inhaling these things all the time. Like probably, you know, if you go for a trek in California for a couple of days, during that trek, you'll you'll inhale some anthrax spores, uh, you'll inhale some TB, you'll inhale all of these things, and yet none of them will make you sick or kill you. You have to be sick first, and then the bacteria will come in like they always do as the cleanup crew, and we'll just take care of the mess. So, yeah, this is the whole problem with the bioweapons theory is that it doesn't work. And we they actually had better, quote, bioweapons in medieval times because they worked, <laughs> they worked out that you, you killed a goat, basically, and you put it out in the sun for a couple of weeks. And let it get really stinky. <laughs> let it putrefy, you know, so you can't even get within, you can't get within a mile of it. The stink is so bad. But it's not the microbes and the bacteria that are dangerous. It's the breakdown products, you know, and that's that stink which tells us don't eat that because that, that'll make you really sick. And so what they do then is drop it in the water supply of the village or the castle and, man, people would get sick. But you can see it's not a bioweapon. It's just toxins, basically. And as you say, there's nothing contagious. You're just poisoning individual people. Yeah, they can't make other people sick themselves. So that, that's essentially, from what we could see, bioweapons, in quotes, hit their pinnacle around that time when it was just a case of, or, you know, you get a dead cow and put it in the catapult and throw it over Chuck the castle <laughs> And, you know, the, the, the gases that come out of that thing far out, if you breathe in those gases, you know, and the methane and other things, yeah, it might kill you. Um, now, you, you mentioned that we can see bacteria. Bacteria exist. Uh, uh, they lie and say they can see viruses under, like, some um, electron microscope or whatever, right? Um, now, what's up with bacteria? We could see it. Now, does... Um, like staff, for instance, I'm in the I'm in the martial arts business, so we deal with staff, and um, it's a bacteria, right? And wh- what do you think is going on with staff? Because people, you know, in jujitsu and martial arts, anytime someone gets staff, they always accuse like they they always think they got it from like the gym with with bacteria. What do you, what do you think staff is? Yeah, well, there's a difference between, you know, this germ theory and bugs causing problems versus hygiene, which is important. So you can have hygiene issues with your skin, 
where the skin's getting occluded if it's so um, cut, you mean covered and yeah yeah if the skin's blocked. covered um you know and that can happen in various sports because you know we we use equipment and stuff like that if the skin's getting traumatized which obviously in martial arts happens uh if there are chemicals potentially being put on uh clothing products or directly on the skin so there's all these other factors that come into it right and just getting some staph by itself, say you get some Staphylococcus aureus, a common staph species, if you just put that on your skin as a pure culture, that won't do anything because any, most of us have got Staph aureus on our skin Already. at all, all times. We just have it in small quantities. But if you do something to the skin, if you change the terrain of the skin in those ways that I talked about, you may get a proliferation all of a sudden the staff have this dead tissue that they start to mop up. And that's when people think, oh my goodness, I've been infected. It's when the pus, you know, you see the yellow pus or the, it looks red and inflamed. and Yeah, then it, then it turns into a big pimple kind of yeah. thing. It looks like an, in, everyone always thinks it's either initially an ingrown hair or a spider bite. That's what yes. that right? Yeah, and the body is just trying to, the body is using the skin to eliminate a, a toxin, basically. Yeah. And yes, there are associated bacteria because they are in there. They're mopping things up. There's dead tissue. So they're doing what they're doing, which is to metabolize that dead tissue for us. And just to clarify one point you made about them not being able to see, quote, viruses, they, they do produce, obviously, images from electron microscopes. The problem is, is that those little circles that they're pointing to with the arrows, there's no proof that they are infectious particles, okay? Mm -hmm. So they just take a photo and then they point to a, a little vesicle and they go, hey, that's coronavirus. And what we challenge them to do is say, well, where's your control experiment? So just take some tissue that you say doesn't have a virus and where is your experiments to show what that particle does? You can't just show us a picture of it and say, make up a story about what it does. You actually have to demonstrate that with other experiments. But that was just a minor point about what we can see under the microscope. But yeah, I mean, with the bacteria, they, it's, it's a real shame, Eddie, because when at any one time when we walk around, we've got like, uh, in your terms, oh, we're talking kilograms here. <laughs> I'll talk in pounds. <laughs> when you're walking around, you got two to three pounds of these bacteria on you and inside you. And you know how long you'd live without them? You'd be lucky to make a week. Because they've done these experiments with yeah. newborn cows. Yeah. They put them in sterile conditions. They cut them out of the mother cow. By a cesarean section. Cesarean section. They put them into these vacuum kind of um, uh, laminar flow uh, cages that they were in so that they couldn't be exposed. So it's completely sterile. Get nothing. Yeah. They, they were irradiating their foods, you know, high dose radiation on the food to make sure it killed everything. And uh, they were giving them sterile water, all this kind of stuff. And those baby cows, they were dead within a couple of weeks. They, they just can't live. Basically, they got incredibly sick. So yeah, you always hear. You always hear about good bacteria, bad bacteria, like, oh, this is the good bacteria, this is the bad bacteria. Is it, are they, is it all good bacteria, in your opinion, or is there really bad bacteria? Yeah, I, I think so. There's all good bacteria. It's all pro-life. 
there's it's again it's keeping people in this this paradigm of germ theory and like what you said about like people when they're doing martial arts and and blaming it on others saying you did this to me you you infected me (laughs) you infected me i wouldn't have been sick it's it's externalizing your health everything is your own responsibility and it's not it's the bacteria the germs microbes they're not there to harm us they're there to help us and you've got to like flip it around (laughs) yeah there's really interesting stuff eddie coming out too where when you do have something like a parasite inside your body or one of some of these bacteria they're actually there and it could be even worse without them like for instance some people that have metal toxicity inside their body have all of these parasites as well and those parasites have really concentrated amounts of toxic metals inside them so in some ways nature's actually giving you this protective layer and we're mistaking it we're looking at it saying we better kill all of these bacteria we better kill all of these parasites when they're actually there for another purpose and we have to look at what the underlying cause is. So yeah, it all works in harmony. And we've looked into so many things, like even with milk, you know, people go, oh, don't drink milk because you'll get listeria and all this kind of stuff. But usually the listeria is in there because something's gone wrong with the milk. Like that cow was eating pasture that had been sprayed with chemicals, you know, too much Roundup and things like that were in its feed or someone had given it toxic doses of uh, antibiotics and vaccines, which had then caused the cow to become sick. And, you know, the bacteria changed in its milk, basically. And people make the mistake of thinking, oh, it's infected, oh, it's going to make us all sick, when actually nature's trying its best to clean things up. Another classic example is mould in your house. Yeah. Like people think, oh, I've got mould, I better kill all the mould. The mould's not the problem. It's the underlying problem. The mold is trying to clean up your house, basically. And yes, it may be too damp, but often you've got all of these building materials, which are... Leaching formaldehyde and and the mold comes in and just tries to clean it up. <laughs> and, and again, the, the bugs are just showing us, hey, there's, there's something wrong with the underlying terrain. Man. Um, now, in, in regards to staff... Generally, when someone gets uh, staff in jujitsu, my martial art, um, generally they go to the hospital and then they get on antibiotics. And um, but I do have students that are anti antibiotics, and the, um, one student in particular, um, he's one of my 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 best students. He refuses to take antibiotics, and when he gets staff, he didn't take anything, and it takes longer to get um for his skin to clear up you know because it gets all there's like a big pimple and opens up and it's all it looks disgusting it takes like a month for his to clear up but um the people that get on antibiotics it clears it up you know within like a week is it is the are the antibiotics just um uh attacking the symptoms and that's why it seems like it's healing, but it's not really healing. It's just attacking the symptoms. Uh, and how does how does my one student who doesn't take antibiotics how does how does he how does he kill the staff? How does that work? Yeah, again, this is I think the idea of infection <laughs> because it's it's like you have to start shifting away. What's your immune system? How does it all work? I, I think 
we've talked to microbiologists to try and understand more about um, antibiotics. And I, I personally believe that they just, they seriously, they suppress inflammation is what antibiotics do. But that doesn't address the cause of what happened. And I think long term, you get pay, you have to, there's payback for that. You, you, by taking antibiotics, it's a toxic bomb, as you know, to your gut. Like it's just, it, they're not selective, like we're told. They, they, it's they, killing all the bacteria. Yeah. If there's a nuclear bomb, that's, <laughs> that's the version is the antibiotic in ourselves, not the real, you know, nuclear bomb. But yeah, what do you think? Yeah, definitely, um, Eddie. There's um, there's a lot of evidence that antibiotics don't work as has been advertised by the pharmaceutical companies. So you know they'll have their little culture in a petri dish and they'll drop in the antibiotics and go, "Oh, look, it killed them. Therefore, this is what it does." But it also, when you put it inside a human body, it has all of these other effects, way more effects than you can imagine. And as Sam says, a lot of them are anti-inflammatory effects. So it's sort of like taking some aspirin. And you think, oh, that's uh, reduced the symptoms, therefore I must be getting better. But ultimately, you pay the price for that. So we know that with allopathic medicine, it, what it does is basically suppress symptoms. It doesn't help people cure. So if you were getting multiple episodes of staph skin infections and were repeatedly taking antibiotics, it's likely that in the long run you're going to cause an even worse problem. Uh, even things like cancers yeah. could eventually... Uh, eventuate what you need to do is allow the body to flush out the toxins so if you're getting those kind of skin conditions then sometimes you need to apply hot packs get in the sauna drink copious amounts of pure water sometimes you need boosters with uh, vitamin c if your body's doing some high turnover stuff and all of these things will quickly uh, help the body cure and not just suppress the symptoms but i mean eddie you, you're, you're right that people and we've seen studies because yeah, we used to be in the system that if you have these conditions, skin conditions, urinary tract infections, that if you take antibiotics, sure, the symptoms will disappear quicker in many, many cases. And for some people, they jump to the strange conclusion that that proves that germ theory is relevant when yeah. it's nothing of the sort. It just shows that you give these pharmaceuticals you can suppress the symptoms a little bit quicker. For all your 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu merchandise, please visit 10thplanetjj.com slash shop. We also got a look into a t-shirt that just dropped. Thank you very much for your support. I always think too, like headache, for example, you can take Tylenol, acetaminophen, whatever, and it will get rid of the headache for you. But often it's like, well, why have you got the headache in the first place? Is it... Is it because you're really tired? Is it because you're under tension, you know, stress? Is it because you've got, you know, your eyes, eye strain or something? Like there's so many other reasons and you just give a tablet and yes, it does make it get better, but you're not addressing why, why, what's going on. And I love your student for having the guts not to, not to take antibiotics because I think there's so much pressure to do so. And especially at high level sport, you want to get back to being as well as you can, but ultimately he is being clever and that he's really looking after his body in the best way he can. And I mean, we know this too, that um, so the microbiome, all of the microbes in your tummy and in your gut, if you take one, even one dose of antibiotics, you can disrupt that whole system for weeks, basically. Yeah. And people don't realize this. Once they've done that, 
their absorption of minerals and vitamins changes for the worse and it can cause all sorts of other issues down the track so yeah it's um it's unfortunate that um, people have been convinced to take these apparent remedies which do seem to make things go away quickly uh, but unfortunately they they pay a much uh, harsher price in the long run and i think also yeah it's just a case of working out what what caused it in the first place and um I think for some people they have to accept. I mean, I know this, Eddie, from when I was uh, a professional athlete and we used to ride for 100 miles on the bike um, for a training ride. And, yeah, you get sores. You get staph sores sometimes. And basically you have to keep working out why am I getting them. So sometimes we had to change our saddles. Often we just had to change our bike shorts, you know, and get a bit of chamois in there. Um, we had to work out, you know, all, all different ways, basically. And I know myself that in the first few years, I was plagued with getting these, yeah, staph-type uh, conditions. But then once you sort out the underlying problem, you can you can basically get rid of it. Now, um, <clears throat> you got, uh, I don't, I've, I've been teaching for 20 years now. And man, uh, I don't know how many times I heard someone get staff and then, they uh, took too long to address it. They end up in the ER and then the doctor says, you could have died. If you would have waited another day, you could have died. And I had staff too. I had staff on my leg and um, I wouldn't go to the hospital. I, I, I just waited and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I finally went in and they were like, thank God you came in because this, this could have been really bad. And then they lanced it, they cut it open and there was like this big hole in my leg and then they stuffed it with gauze and then little by little day after day it took like a month or so but um then that hole that was in my leg it filled up with skin i guess or something uh membrane uh and then <laughs> and then now it's just a scar um <clears throat> like i mean there's, I have heard it many, many times that the doctor said, you know, if, if I waited one more day, I could have been dead. People are dying. People die of staff and, and, and all that. What do you, what do you say about that? I mean, your body's trying to eliminate something yeah. <laughs> clearly. Like if you hadn't gone in, I imagine what would have still happened is that your skin itself would have ruptured with pressure and it would be released. You don't want to leave pus inside um, yeah. tissue but it's not, I, I think these, I, I think it's the arrogance actually of the, the medical profession to say things like that because it val validates everything. It's like, oh, we're the saviors and we're, we're fixing you. What did he, what did the person do? They basically lanced it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, that's fine because sometimes surgery can be appropriate. Yeah. So if you've got a, an area like that, an abscess, which is walled off, uh, sometimes it can accelerate things by letting it out with surgery. But, um, I mean, Eddie, I know you're going to hate hearing this, but I mean, I think you know why these staff problems are happening. And it's, I mean, that what you do with the grappling and stuff, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to damage the body. Essentially, that's what you're doing. You're damaging the body. So, uh, yeah, here, here's here, uh, back, back um, in my early days of teaching, like the first, uh, I'd say like a decade, the first decade, uh, I barely mopped those mats. We would leave those mats like it was like a swamp. I mean, like puddles and puddles 
all up in the mats. When class was over, we would just go home and we would just, <laughs> we would barely clean them. We'd clean them like once a week. And I remember students, like one student in particular go, hey, Eddie, look at like after class. And it, it was just covered with puddles of sweat. And he said, dude, we can't just, we can't leave it like this. We, he was a, a, a germaphobe, a, a self-proclaimed <laughs> germaphobe. And he would say, Eddie, we got to get medieval with these mats. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm on these mats all the time. I'm fine. I'd get ringworm every now and then or whatever. And then we would, we would, we would have people get staff every now and then. They would blame it on the mats. And then finally I go, okay, I'm going to hire this Mexican. I got this Mexican named Jose to come in every day. And I thought every day, I'm going to, I'm going to end this, all this shit talking that everyone's doing now and getting online saying, oh, Eddie's gym is disgusting. So I, I, I hired Jose to come in every midnight to, to mop the mats. And um, sometimes he would show up, sometimes he would just, you know, he would just be too drunk and he, he would just pass out and wouldn't show up. But I felt like, man, I'm, I'm, I was doing the right thing. I was doing all I could. I, I hired someone to come in and mop every day, right? I, 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 I felt good about it. I don't wanna hear no shit no more. I got Jose in here cleaning every goddamn night. And, um, and then people would, you know, still get, staff every now and then every now and then a few people get staff and then ringworm every now and then but uh, we just kept training we kept going every now and then i'd get ringworm um and then uh fast forward to today in my school now man i have we have four uh, uh four mops four mop heads industrial size clean every i have like 40 of them me and my wife, we wash them at home, hang them out to dry. Every day, four clean mops every day. And after every class, not Jose at midnight, after every class, when the class is over, we have a, a mop bucket with the best mat cleaner, Ken Shield, kills all viruses and, and germs and germicidal and all that. So we got the best. I didn't want to hear shit from nobody. I got the best <laughs> cleaner. I got the best cleaner, four mops. So we have four guys, boom, it takes like two minutes. After every class, we just clean everything. And we still get staff and ringworm at the same rate. Isn't that weird? It's the same rate. But now when people get it, they freak out. But back then, you know, someone get staff, it was just like, you just dealt with it, you know? Um, now, I'm as clean as you can get. You can't get any cleaner. and. Uh, we still get staff. We still get staff and ringworm at generally the same rate. Yeah, I think um, I think God's trying to tell you something, Eddie. That's 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 a that's a legit scientific study right there, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty I legit. Think, uh, it's like those studies. Isn't there isn't there a study? Um, there's a bunch of them though, but there's one in particular that they did, and it's documented. It's in. Um, about the, the Spanish, Spanish flu, where they took yeah. mucus from. Can, can, do you know what test? Do you know what study I'm talking about? Where yeah. they took. Yeah. Can, can you tell my audience a little, a little bit about that? What did they do? Yes, they had. Um, so it was done in the Spanish flu, like 1918 era. It was called the Rosenau experiments. I think the ones you're talking about, and they yes. basically took about 50 prisoners. <laughs> The poor, poor guys. They could only if they could got to get out early or something if they committed to doing this experiment. But they basically went and took them into the hospitals with all the Spanish flu patients. They were really sick after about three days. Then they 
gave took snot from the sick Spanish flu people, put it up their noses, coughed in their faces. They had to spend five minutes talking with them. They, they even injected. directly injected biological fluid from. So sick they people. took. They took. This is a study that they did. They took fifty sick people that had the Spanish flu, fifty prisoners that didn't have anything, made a deal with them, and said, "Hey, listen, you let us take." infected snot spit and blood and put it down your throat up your nose we're gonna breathe on you spit on you if you survive we'll let you out of jail they basically did that right and what's the, what's the name of that what's the name of that study and how can people read it for themselves yeah you can look it up so it's called rosina which is rose like r-o-s-e-n-a-u if you put that in not google but you know <laughs> want or something duck duck some search engine and just studies and it will pop up and it's these are really easy to they're not i don't think technical actually it is sam did a really good um video as well it's on her web that's actually it's still on youtube it's on youtube uh called uh so dr sam bailey secrets of influenza and it does talk about those studies as well and just shows people that this is not a contagious condition and nothing happened. So they took snot from the sick people with Spanish flu and injected it, spit on healthy people that weren't sick, put it down their throat and up their nose, correct? They did everything that they could do, yeah. And, and you know, Eddie, what's crazy is that when we were training as doctors, they didn't tell us this at all, that they'd done these experiments. And yeah. um, so we even, when we were investigating this a few years ago, we got this uh, textbook of influenza, like 500 pages. It's supposed to be the biggest one in the world. And we went through the entire thing, looking at all the references and stuff. It took like weeks to go through this publication. And not one mention of the Rosenau experiments. And you think that's the most important. There were a couple of others after that as well, and they couldn't transmit any sickness. Yeah. So that's what was striking, was that these days, if you buy these big textbooks about influenza, not one thing in there about it. Here we go. Is this? Yes, yeah. that's, that's the one. Thank you. Yeah. That's it right there? Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, and it's, oh, maybe it's a bit more technical. Those are all the prisoners. <laughs> they list them, um, the names there. And I think, Eddie, what we were, we were really lucky because they actually documented what they did really carefully. Yeah. Like sometimes you're, you're looking back um, and you can't work out what they actually did. But, um, yeah, that's okay, Check that out right there. Hold on. Navy doctors collected the mucus from men who were desperately ill from the flu, gathering thick uh, viscous, viscous secretions from their noses and throats. I play it from here. This is what they did. Throats. They sprayed mucus from flu patients into the noses and throats of some men and dropped it into other men's eyes. In one attempt, they swabbed mucus from the back of the nose of a man with the flu and then directly swabbed one patient's nasal septum and rubbed it directly onto the nasal septum of one of the volunteers. Now, anyone involved in clinical trials today will be amazed at what used to go on. You've got to hand it to them though, this was a serious field experiment that could help provide the necessary transmission evidence. Kalata goes on further, trying to simulate what happens naturally when people are exposed to flu victims. The doctors took 10 of the volunteers onto the hospital ward where men were dying of the disease. 
the sick men lay huddled on their narrow beds, burning with fever, drifting in and out of sleep in a delirium. The ten healthy men were given their instructions. Each was to walk up to the bed of a sick man and draw near him, lean into his face, breathe in his fetid breath and chat with him for five minutes to be sure that the healthy man had had a full exposure to the sick man's disease, the sick man was to exhale deeply while the healthy man drew the sick man's breath directly into his own lungs. Finally, the flu victim coughed five times in the volunteer's face. Each healthy volunteer repeated these actions with 10 different flu patients. Each flu patient had been seriously ill for no more than three days a period when the virus or whatever it was that was causing the flu should still be around in his mucus, in his nose, in his lungs. Well, they certainly weren't wearing masks or social distancing, so some people would be getting pretty nervous about all of this. Let's go back to Gina Colata's book to see what happened. Where we find she concludes that not a single healthy man got sick. A comparable experiment carried out under much stricter conditions took place in San Francisco with 50 imprisoned sailors. But once again, the results did not correspond with what the doctors had expected. Gina Collada writes, scientists were stunned. If these healthy volunteers did not get infected with influenza, despite doctors' best efforts to make them ill, then what was causing this disease? How exactly did people get the flu? Now, this doesn't conclusively prove that human-to-human -human transmission never occurred, but it certainly indicates that healthy individuals were not susceptible to catching the disease. And the Spanish flu is often touted as one of the most infectious and deadly flus that was capable of killing young people as well as old. So fast forward to 2021 to see what public source Wikipedia says about how people get influenza. With regards to transmission, the influenza page states that people who are infected can transmit influenza viruses through breathing, talking, coughing and sneezing, which spread respiratory droplets and aerosols that contain virus particles into the air. A person susceptible to infection can then contract influenza by coming into contact with these particles. Okay, did someone do further clinical experiments to formally establish this? The Wikipedia statement gives us two references, the first yeah. of which is a 2019 paper titled Influenza Virus Related Critical Illness, Pathophysiology and Epidemiology. It is immediately apparent that this is a review article and not a clinical experiment. The review article states that virus transmission occurs when a susceptible individual comes into contact with aerosols or respiratory fomites from an infected individual. And they provide a reference for this, which is the Textbook of Influenza, second edition. Okay, this is getting suspicious as we want a specific study experiment rather than a textbook. However, I don't want to miss anything. And after a search, I managed to track down a copy of the book, which has over 500 pages. But to show my dedication to you guys, I checked the approximately 100 pages mentioning transmission in the textbook. Most of them relate to indirect evidence with epidemiological patterns and at other times it is purely speculative in nature with a lot of maybes. They did state that with regards to H5N1 influenza or avian flu, there were clear examples of unsustained human-to-human -human transmission and give a reference for this. However, this is a 2008 paper reporting on an unwell father and his son who died. 
who had close contact with 91 people, out of which two developed mild symptoms. I don't think that's a clear example at all. Even the title states probable, and that was based on H5N1 virus isolates from the two cases. Hmm, isolated. By the way, we do a whole expose on H5N1 and virus mania with a chapter 7 titled H5N1 Avian Flu and Not a Glimmer of Proof. So despite being over 500 pages, the so-called textbook of influenza didn't provide the evidence of a clinical trial establishing human-to-human -human transmission. However, the book did feature this colourful picture. Don't worry, I'll search for experiments involving whales, ducks and dogs in the future. That was awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that uh, link from you guys and I'm going to share the hell out of it. That, I could, that, that's an incredible video because you got... You know how rare that is? Because I asked you about that test that, uh, or the studies they did. The Rosenau. Yes, I asked you about that. I looked at, uh, Kaufman sent me the PDF, I have it. Um, and I sent it to some friends, some uh, very important people. Um, and um, it's not as powerful, nearly as powerful as you breaking it down. I mean, oh, and, thank you, and, and it's and you know it's it's like the pictures and everything. It like it it, it engages you, and that, uh, that's what we needed right there. We needed that right. That's so hardcore. You know how hardcore that is. It's uh I mean, mo like like the most famous doctors out there doing great work, like Doctor Robert Malone, Doctor Peter McCulloch. They're out there really talking mad shit on the vaccine, and that's good. That's not bad. They're going way out of their way saying it kills you. It's going to fuck you up. Do not take it. That's great. But they still, they never, um, they never uh, touch on the stuff you're touching on, the stuff you guys are saying. You know what I mean? That's super hardcore. And it's, man, you're in New Zealand. That, that takes a lot of courage. <laughs> Jesus, that was a beautiful video. Thank you. No, no, thanks, Eddie. It's I, I think we we do try. I think the most important we we do all the stuff for free because we want people to to know. Like I think it's just removing that fear, and then it helps people become healthy for themselves. And it's just it's this gradual process. And you know what you said earlier at the beginning of the interview, like what what is it that you can talk to people about? You know to break this down. And I personally think the transmission stuff is is. That, that would be my starting point because I think people, everyone can see that. Did, you know, did you know that they've never shown in an experiment that that contagion, that viruses, bacteria can can pass from, from one person to another? And, and this is for everything, like um, Eddie. So we took our time. We went back and looked at measles, chickenpox, herpes, gonorrhea, all of them, you know, HIV, and just say, well, where is the paper that shows anyone is transmitting this to anyone else? And, I mean, it's it's crazy because, yeah, we looked at um, the so-called sexually transmitted diseases to find uh, out that that's not... It's another scam. <laughs> yeah, we, we found all these crazy experiments that were funded. A lot of them were funded by the uh, National Institutes of Health in the US and, <laughs> you know, trying to 
get prostitutes to quote infect people <laughs> it just wasn't working so you know then they were filling them up with alcohol and other stuff and going have another shot and another shot and uh these uh they were just not um transmitting this disease at all so uh yeah but it is we do need to clarify there is people do affect each other yeah and yeah you know, when we say, because contagion is a very specific thing. It doesn't mean that people in the same house get sick at the same time or that you might pass a toxin on. Contagion means that you pass on disease via a germ. You know, that's specifically what it is. And we just point out that, that there is absolutely no evidence for this whatsoever. That's completely wrong. Uh, but we're not saying that people don't influence each other that two people together might uh, get sick at the same time. That that certainly happens. We, we see that all the time. But I think we have to be really careful, and that's what we do, is we say on the scientific evidence, they just do not have these claims. So we go to the CDC's webpage, and they tell us that chickenpox is spreading through the air, that you can be in the same room as someone and you can get sick. And we just go through all of their papers and say, that's not true. Yeah. That's, t- that's not true at all. That's never well, What about... What about um, the people that say, well, when I was a kid in our neighborhood, if someone got the measles, you sent everybody to their house so that they all could get the measles and, and get it out of their system. Yeah. Well, Sam's got great video. <laughs> oh, you, got a, you got a video? Do you have a... I've got a video on chickenpox parties specifically, um, but there's also, there's wonderful a video um, on measles as well. And because... There was, do you know Stefan Lenker? He's a German virologist. Um, who yes, was, yes, I love that guy. Yeah, he, he's he's Giant amazing. Balls. Yeah, he he did a bet early on of a uh, hundred thousand euro for anyone that could show the existence of measles, and he and well, specifically oh, sorry. the measles virus. Sorry, yeah. the measles virus. Like there is a condition we know that people call measles and yet we know that it's got the spots spots and spots and temperature and all that kind of stuff but what we dispute is that it's caused by this virus that they invented so stefan said well i'll put up a hundred thousand euro to anyone that can show me the scientific proof in a publication so a guy david bardens a german physician said i've got the proof here and he turned up to the court with his six papers he said these are the best papers to prove that we've got measles and although he initially won in court, Lanker appealed it, took it to a higher court. Well, the highest court in Germany, and, and he won. Yeah, because they had to admit on the public record that not one of those papers followed the scientific method. No controls, no scientific method, just speculation that they had found a measles virus. So, I mean, but the craziness that we're up against was that was about 2016. Yeah. That they showed in a German court no evidence for the measles virus. But then around 2020, I think, Germany brings out the Measles Act, the Childhood Act, which basically says that all of the kids going to public schools and that have to have the measles jab. So, I mean, this is how crazy it is. They, um, despite the fact that they have no scientific evidence, they make the population do these things. Hmm. What do do you, can you uh, speculate on, um, on what you think measles actually is? Like what's going on when a kid has the measles? Yeah, well, there's some evidence. So, so firstly, 
We believe in terms of what an immune system is, that basically it's the body's way of detoxing. You have to do detoxing of the body and it can only happen through certain ways. So the skin is one of the big ways that our bodies detox. Especially in children. Like yes. Their skin's really efficient. That's why we see a lot of this stuff in kids. Yeah, so rashes are more common in children just because that's their main eliminative route. The other thing that is interesting is that they have done this I think study about with vitamin A deficiency in in children and if you give vitamin A to children with symptoms of measles they they improve so there are other deficiencies and things that are going on I personally think a lot of it is this it's just the body's clearing um it's it's the elimination process that a, a child's going through and like I think Andy Kaufman and other people have talked about, it's just often it's the respiratory system. It comes out, you know, it can we cough it out? That's why we get a sore throat, running nose, all the all those sorts of symptoms. And children do tend to have more of them because they're just they're coming into contact with yeah yeah. It's a there's a bigger issue too with uh, measles, and that's that we don't believe that it is a specific disease entity. Yeah. So if we look at all of these things from smallpox, measles, monkeypox, chickenpox, there's no actual, they're not actually that different in terms of how they manifest. It's just like a different severity. So it's all the same problem. The skin's trying to detox and they give it different labels depending on how severe it is. Or where it is on your body. Like if you have it on your face more than your body, your trunk, then it's, this. <laughs> then it's smallpox and, you know, like they have these ridiculous um, demarcations. And they have various tests, you know, like PCR and antibodies and stuff. And it's um, probably, you know, too much to get into the technical details of that here. But we, we go into those in our articles and videos as well, explaining why they could not possibly distinguish between these conditions. So, you know, um, that's what's funny, Eddie. I mean, you're talking about these staph lesions you get on your skin I mean in you know 2022 if you would have turned up uh, at a health center they might have said that you've got the monkeypox you know totally <laughs> because suddenly you know that could be monkeypox yeah. and it all depends on where you are what um, you know what time era you're in and uh, what kind of so-called diagnostic tests which uh, often not diagnostic tests that they have at the time so but um, you'd be surprised at how, and we know this because we used to be in the system, mm. about the difficulties of diagnostics. And we realise yeah. now that diagnosing diseases is uh, a fraudulent system. It's, yeah. it's not actually real. Your body just has certain conditions that it goes through. So if you've got spots uh, and you live in Memphis in 1982, they tell you it's measles. But then if you're in Denmark... Or uh, maybe AIDS, too. They might throw AIDS on you. In 1982, they go, you know what? Let's call that AIDS. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you're right on the money here. And this is um, Sam's book, Virus Mania, gets into that with HIV, is that yeah. one week we've got lymphoma, you know, cancer, and Kaposi's sarcoma, another type of cancer. And, you know, these are diseases which have been known about for a long time. And then the next week, some guy comes in and... Because, With a new test. Because of Gallo and Fauci and all these guys making their declaration, suddenly we call that HIV and AIDS. Overnight. You know, overnight. It just changed. Yeah. I mean, I lived through that 
I'm, I'm a little older than you guys. Uh, <laughs> I was a teenager during AIDS and I bought it hook, line and sinker. They had every at first, at first you had nothing to worry about. It's just, uh, something, something inside a man's butt can kill you. And it's a gay thing. All right. It's not the, in the girl butts. It's in the guy butts. You know what I mean? They're dying. So you're like, okay, woo, I'm not gay. I'm good. Woo. And then slowly it, it, you know, you heard it. There was cases. Oh, it's, it's in girls butts too. Now people are like, oh no. And then you could get it. If you have, they convinced the world that you can die from having sex. Yeah. Everyone, then, people still think that too. People still think that, that you could die from having sex. Yeah, and I think it's really important to tease out the epidemiology because the risk factor for getting sick and getting AIDS is receptive anal intercourse. So that is the risk factor. And it's thought that it's because semen contains these highly oxidant compounds. And the rectum is actually, it's pretty delicate tissue back there. The v- vagina, very robust. <laughs> It can take everything. <laughs> it, can, it can take the semen. But somehow, somehow it got to the females. At first, it was just a gay thing. Yeah, yeah. You, know, uh, you didn't have nothing to worry about. And then little no. by little, you hear, oh, two women got AIDS in, in Seattle. You're like, oh, it's going to spread. But there's, there's, there's one of the most interesting studies of all, which I have to say the first time I saw it, I was like, what? I can't believe I didn't know about it. Is that 10 year study they did in heterosexual couples. So one had HIV and the other didn't. Well, when oh, they say HIV, they oh, had okay. a, a positive antibody test is what they had. Yeah. A positive test. Which they said, the establishment said that meant they had the quote virus in them. So over a 10 year period, Eddie, None of the partners got HIV. So that they're having unprotected sex for ten years. Over ten years, and none of them, none of them seroconverted. None of the ones that didn't have the antibody antibody test um, passed. Yeah, you would think if if that if AIDS was real, they it would have just wiped out like all hookers. Boom. The street ones first. Street ones first. And then all the ones in the whole, the, all of them, you're a hooker. There's no way you're having that much sex and you're not going to die from sex. You know what I mean? No, and it would have wiped them all out. It didn't do nothing. It didn't even, nothing. It did nothing no. to um, that industry. Totally. And, and there have been studies looking specifically at prostitutes. And it's really interesting because you can see that this, it's a lie we've been told. And, and people still believe it now. And if you say something like this, you're you're crazy. But they haven't. The people that are saying they haven't looked at the studies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are like female prostitutes um, have other risk factors yes. for getting what we call AIDS. They don't get a virus, but they get sick eventually. But that's because a lot of them are IV drug users. Are IV drug users or are malnourished? They have these other risk factors. Oh yeah, but yeah. If you're, the, you know, yeah, whether or not you're, you're um having uh, oral sex for money um if you're strung out on drugs and you know eating like shit living on the street and you just so happen to be a hooker you probably die you didn't die from having too much sex and you got aids you died from all the drugs you're doing yeah no, right? right the only the only risk factor as i say for female prostitutes is if they have anal sex and it's not because they get a virus it's just because that constant, um, the rectal tissue is just not well designed to take semen, basically. That's horrible news for some people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, the good news is it is that the vagina is okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Rectum too delicate. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, what do you? What do you? Um, um, man, what like like uh, when you get warts on your hands? What are, are warts? Viruses? Because that's that's what you're brought up to believe. Well, viruses don't exist. Horrible question. What do you think warts are? Because then you burn them off. I've had warts. In jujitsu, you get warts. You know, you're, yeah. you just think it's from all the different animals you roll with all the time and do jujitsu with eventually you get warts and there's all the sweat and all this dirt and you're eventually going to get warts. And then you just go to the dermatologist, they freeze it off or burn it off and then boom, it's gone. What do you think th those are? You should say about the Borneo thing. The, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, firstly, Sam, yeah. Sam's done a video on this as well. Yeah. On warts HPV. too? Damn. Yeah, because there's a there's a really serious what's what's issue. your what's your youtube is just sam bailey yeah dr sam bailey yeah but most of these videos are not on youtube anymore so oh. H hpv might be but yeah okay. uh, yeah i can link it yeah okay. anyway we'll, we'll give you the link you, yeah. you should put them up on rockfin those are awesome videos you're crushing it Th that takes so i mean there's there's uh so few doctors that uh um that are like you and Kaufman and Tom Cowan at Tom K. You know, Tom? Totally. <laughs> we're, we're very tight. Yeah, we're oh, that's people. awesome. I had him on a couple of weeks ago. Um, we haven't released the episode yet. Cause we're, we're like four, you know, we got four in the can, but he's coming yeah. soon. That he's awesome. I love that guy. Yes. Like, he's awesome. You know, it's just, it's just, um, it's shocking. Cause really it's just common sense, right? You just, it's a scientific method. They're not doing the scientific method, common sense. Um, but, but you're right. Sorry, Eddie. I think what you're asking is really important because people do, they want a replacement. They're like, well, if it's not a virus, then what is it? And unfortunately it isn't, there is no it for anything, you know, like it, you've, everybody has their own story and their own reasons, but in regards to, yeah, so there is, we have done one on warts, but um, there's also another. Interesting yeah. It's really interesting, Eddie, because we get contacted by people around the world, often people who work in agriculture or, um, conservation or with various, um, you know, projects going on around the world. And one thing that's become apparent is that a lot of these diseases that humans seem to get, like um, herpes and so-called HPV, the animals start manifesting these things. They don't manifest them in the wild. So when they're out and the, um, doing their thing, so like chimps. They don't get any of these they, problems. They don't get warts in the wild. But when they come into human conditions, into captivity, and start getting exposed to different foods, chemicals, um, artificial materials that we've produced, then they start getting these conditions. You know, So clearly we've got an environmental problem. And the germ theorists try and claim, oh, no, we've just infected these <laughs> animals. But that's not true either mm -hmm. because a lot of these places in the – uh, less developed world, people are interacting with animals all the time and the animals are not getting these conditions. So, yeah, there's, um, but with HPV, yeah, with warts and stuff, again, the body's just trying to wall something off. And HPV is a difficult one, to be honest. We have actually, when we investigated it, we were, we couldn't come up with, we weren't willing to go out on a limb and say exactly what the cause was, apart from a skin reaction that was trying to wall something off. Uh, what was more important for us to investigate was the claim 
that HPV is causing women to have cervical, cervical cancer. cancer. Yeah. And now this is a total scam and yeah. it's causing absolute havoc with uh, mm. telling women to go in and have these smear tests and then they're telling them that they're infected. They need these treatments. It's just barbaric, actually. It's completely HPV is fictional. <laughs> yeah, that, that, and that's where the HPV is really dangerous because mm. it can it leads women to get procedures that they should never have had. Mm. Um, sometimes they get on drugs that they should never take, uh, all on the basis of these bogus tests that they have. And uh, like all of the other quite viruses, HPV does not exist. It's just a collection of cellular debris in a test tube plus some genetic sequences that they detected and said, oh, that belongs to, to the virus, you know. So, yeah, it's... um. And, and, you know, the real shame is is that uh, they've got tens of billions of dollars that they pursue with their bogus uh, research into these things, claiming, you know, that there are viruses, et cetera, and pouring it all into the pharmaceutical industry. And those of us that are disputing this, uh, just doing it from our home studios, <laughs> and, you know, and just trying to point out that, hey, these uh, the establishment has got this completely wrong. But, of course, we don't get any funding and um and i don't necessarily think there needs to be a lot of funding it would just be a small amount uh, for people to actually research these things but it was like um in the 1980s if you came up with an alternative theory to aids no funding for you you cut off but you're also ousted from the academic profession like immediately you you're you're on the outer and that's what they've done you know to anyone that would any whistleblower that would you know, speak out. And, and usually doctors are trapped because they need to keep their medical licenses. So, but now you've got this new generation, like myself and Sam, we've got Tom Cowan, well, he was sort of retiring anyway. We've got Andy Kaufman, who were all, we're all doctors that were trained in the system. We're all saying, okay, fine, we, we don't need the system. We'll just um, do our work outside the system now. And I think it's becoming increasingly problematic for them because more and more people are listening to the stuff. And not only, and you don't need to be a doctor to put yeah. this stuff out. I mean, yeah, Mike Stone. We've got Mike Stone with Viral IG. We've got Amanda Bulmer, Kevin Corbett, the former nurse. We've got all of these other people, you know, who. It's snowballing, uh, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's, and it's getting big. And um, we know how much, like, honestly, people in the freedom movement, if they start talking about the vaccines or, you know, so-called COVID case numbers, and they think, oh, we're getting censored and all this kind of stuff. They face no censorship compared to the no virus people. Like we we can't get on most platforms with no virus and people have tried to upload our work onto Facebook or Instagram and usually their account gets knocked out. You can get on Rockfin. You should, I'm on Rockfin. Yeah. I talk about this all the time. Rockfin's awesome. Yeah, Sam um, has worked a lot with Odyssey, so her channel's got about 47,000 subscribers on okay. Odyssey. So, okay, um, Odyssey is like Rockfin? It kind of, yeah. It's 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 just, it's a decentralized, it's like a, what do you call it? Like a crypto version of, um, what, do you, what do you call that? Blockchain of uh, for a platform, a video platform. So no one, it can't be taken down. That was what I was searching for was like a, a platform where you know that they can't be bought out eventually by big tech. And we know that the establishment are furious about Odyssey because uh, the US Securities Exchange Commission is alleging that they are running financial instruments and are trying to shut down the whole platform. 
So clearly, you know, like BitChutes, they're attacking obviously now. Yeah. They've been under attack for a while, but um, Odyssey is also under attack. They're just trying to shut it down because they've realised it's a complete free speech platform. Yeah. We, we get on, like you on Rockfin, you just talk about whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, man. Uh, so what are the chances that Odyssey gets taken down? Do you think that's really going to happen? I, don't, I think it's less likely out of all of the different platforms, to be honest. I, 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 have, I talked to Rockfin. I, was, I would have actually used them, but I didn't know about them until I'd already like, really established on Odyssey. And I, I like Odyssey and I feel they've been very good to me. So I want to support them. Um, like the what you were talking about in 2020, about cafes and gyms that support this stuff. So, yeah. I want to um, share your I, videos. I want to share your videos. I want like the easiest way to share your videos. Obviously the easiest way would be YouTube, but no way YouTube's going to let you talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Odyssey is the best. That's where I have everything. And um, yeah. And it's on. Yeah. yeah but, and we can honestly tell you Eddie from Sam's algorithms with all the platforms that she runs and seeing all the traffic and stuff. The thing that gets more censorship, you can, Vaccines, yeah, that gets censorship and cancer, that gets censorship and talking about PCR tests, that'll get censorship and case numbers and stuff. But the thing where they absolutely hammer you is on no virus. They absolutely hammer it. It's it's so bad that um, they, the worst is that they just shadow ban you, basically, where people can't even find, find you. Yeah. And, and that's why we get a lot of people saying, you know, despite the fact that Sam's got pretty big online platforms, uh, we're still getting people who say, I've just discovered you, you know, <laughs> and they've been looking for this information yeah. since uh, since early 2020. Or they'll put in, they'll, like on Facebook, they'll have to put in my name backwards because otherwise it gets, um, what is it, when it's not. It gets flagged. It's, it's, uh, yeah, like not, it won't be verified, the comment, like it won't go through. And you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is crazy. And we're not yeah. even saying anything, you know. Um, well, you're doing, both of you guys are doing great work. Kaufman, he's he's the man. Uh, yeah. Tom Cowan. I want to meet more of y'all. So how big is this crew? I'll put them all on. <laughs> yeah, well, if, if you're talking about the the tight crew, is sort of like uh, that we're in weekly contact with. Yeah, so we've got um, Andy Kaufman, Tom Cowan, um, obviously us. Uh, Christine Massey. Got Christine Massey. She's really good. Amazing. Yeah, I'll have her on next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Christine. Hook, awesome. hook me up with her. her con- is it a girl or a guy? A girl. She's yep. a Canadian. She's uh, done no, no, all forget the- it. I don't, I don't want to talk to a girl. No, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, hook us up and I'll put her up. I, I, the, I, I'm fascinated with this. This is yeah, absolute. Because, yeah. you know, I, I'm already to that point, you know, um, where uh, I don't really believe like any like history like we gotta we gotta like all history like what, what are we on like what is this place is this, <laughs> we're in some kind of wildlife preserve or something what it what is up um no. well anyways um you guys don't believe we landed on the moon right uh it seems pretty unlikely yeah like i've <laughs> looked into that and um <laughs> And, I don't want to ruin your yeah. reputation. You guys are doing such no, a good no, job. No. I'm not going to drag you into my craziness. Okay. No, 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 Eddie. No, we, we did look at the moon landing stuff because I think it is really important. And clearly that was fraudulent. And um, that was the biggest COVID ever, right? That was the biggest scamdemic ever. The oh, money they even, got from the money NASA gets every year, 19 billion. It's probably more now. It's like, man, that's just, woo. They're just. Well, 
dealing on I just, um, yeah, the point, the thing I loved about it the most was when NASA admitted they basically staged the photos, but then they said the excuse was, was that the originals didn't come out too good. So <laughs> they had to yeah. do the next ones in the studio. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, there's people Shame. out there. There's, there's, there's people that um, <clears throat> believe we went to the moon. There's people that don't believe we went to the moon. And then there's people that believe that we fake going to the moon, but a secret space mission actually went to the moon, right? <laughs> it's funny because we're, we're, we're doubting the official moon landing because of the, uh, after looking at the evidence, we're like, oh, you faked it. Uh, um, that's why we decided it was fake. The guys that believe it was faked, we, we looked at the evidence and then boom. Because if you don't look at the evidence, you're like, yeah, we landed. We went to the moon. Yeah, yeah, sure. But to say that they faked the evidence, but there's no, but, but they went on a secret space mission and there's zero evidence of that. We can't even in, investigate that evidence. Would you believe that where there's no evidence? It doesn't make any sense. But there's people out there that believe uh, that there's a secret space mission to the moon. Um, I my opinion is you probably can't land on the moon. It looks like it's a light. It's definitely not. The moon is easy. The moon is super easy. It is not reflecting the sun's light. What is the, the moon made out of crystal? Is it made out of mirror? That's not, how, that's not how light reflects off dirt or dust or whatever it is. That's not how. You, you, could, you could see that the moon is a light. It's shining its light down. You could see it through the cloud. There's clouds. It, it beams through clouds sometimes, depending on the thickness and the denseness of the clouds. You, that, that, that's not a reflection. That one's easy. That one's easy. You know, can you imagine how bright it is to land on that thing? If it's bright, <laughs> the moon is so bright. And, and, there's, and there's like a law of light, right? The closer, like if you were looking at some high beams from some big ass Hummer a uh, hundred yards away, you could look right into that light. But if you walk right up to the Hummer, it'll blind you, right? Can you imagine that's like, there's some kind of, there's a name for that, the law of, Hibler, what is the name of that light, that light law, do you know? Inverse square law of light. There you go. Say that again so they can hear. Inverse square law of light. Yeah, that means like the closer you get to the light, the brighter it's going to be, right? No duh, right? Common it sense. Spreads, spreads Imagine out. how bright that goddamn moon, if you like could land on it, it would just be like this fucking white light, blinding light. But no, they're playing golf in the desert. <laughs> but anyways, I'm gonna let you guys go. I know you guys got to take care of your kids. Thank you very much. I'm gonna have you guys. I had no idea uh, um, how much research you guys actually did. Holy shit. I, we could talk all night. Um, let's do part two, part three and forever. Love you guys. And um, go check out Dr. Sam and Mark Bailey. Thank you guys. Hey, thank you so much, Eddie. It was a real pleasure. And um, yeah, we'd love to come back on again and talk to you. Hell yeah. See ya. The Jiu-Jitsu Dojo is the ultimate training ground for life. Jiu-Jitsu will accelerate the evolution of your being, your consciousness, your soul. Through this amazing art, you will prove to yourself that you can master anything you set your mind to. Happy birthday, Eddie Bravo! I leave for Brazil tomorrow. Are you the fear factor guy? I'm uh, like six pounds over. Time to sweat it out. 
Just imagine someone that has no idea how different your game is. I'll tell you what this weekend was, man. It was a culmination point where all your hard work comes to like one great moment in time. You showed that you're a fucking champion. Guy who goes against convention. You created your own shit and figured interesting ways to get around problems in jujitsu. And shows you that great things are possible if you work hard, if you dedicate yourself and you use your creativity and you push through. Your own human potential just goes up. My 10th Planet Association has grown rapidly to over 70 academies worldwide, and their curriculums are all synced to 10th Planet headquarters located in downtown Los Angeles. I'm Eddie Bravo. I hope to see you on the mats. You can tell it's real because it looks so fake.